This week, I welcome Paul Avis back on the show for the fourth time, along with his colleagues Max and Donna. We talk about group income protection and early intervention services and try and answer the question, are insurers just insurers or are they service providers too? Welcome to episode 136 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This is the podcast for ideas and inspiration on marketing your business and growing your business and for discussing topics on all things finance. And now here's your host, Roger Edwards. Hey everyone and welcome to the show. I'm Roger, a marketing guy from Edinburgh. I help businesses like yours keep your marketing strategy simple and the bullshit at bay. Thanks for downloading or streaming the show. I really do appreciate it. This week, we're heading into the world of financial services and taking a look at group income protection, something all companies should consider setting up for their employees. My guests are from Canada Life. We chat about whether insurers are just insurers or whether they are service providers too, Why is there such low take-up of group income protection despite the positive benefits for employers and their employees? Is group income protection the right name for the product? And would extended sick pay and support be better? How to deal with cases where absence isn't for clinical reasons but workplace related? Three case studies showing the human touch and understanding the employer, measuring the outcomes and targeting the offer. Paul Avis is Marketing Director at Canada Life Group Insurance. A keen sportsman, Paul notes his interest in Bath Rugby, Somerset Cricket, Swindon Town Football, Diving and Skiing. Andrew Marchant, also known as Max, is Rehabilitation and EIS Manager. As a father and foster carer, he enjoys spending as much time as he can with the family taking walks with the dogs. He also enjoys going to the cinema with his wife. Donna Ray is Senior Rehabilitation Consultant, a 40-something wife, mother and lover of Iggy Dogs. She's known as Mrs. EIS to some of the rehabilitation team. So let's get straight into that interview with Paul, Max and Donna right here on the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Paul, Max, Donna, welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Morning. Morning. Now, you guys are Skyping me from Bristol, and I'm in Edinburgh, of course. What's it like down there? Stunning weather, blue skies, full of balloons. Seriously, we have the Balloon Festival in August, and um, they they come out on all good days before as part of their test runs. So you come down the M32 into Bristol, and you look up, and you see this beautiful, stunning set of balloons in the sky ready for the fiesta, which is uh, normally the first couple of weeks in August. Fantastic. Guys, today we're going to talk about whether insurers are just insurers or are they service providers too? And of course, we're going to dig deep and talk about early intervention services. But before we get into that, I'd like you to introduce yourselves to the listeners of the Marketing and Finance podcast. Now, Paul, I'm going to ask you to go first. And of course, this is your fourth your fourth appearance on the Marketing and Finance podcast. I'll give the listeners a little bit of background about yourself, please. So my name's Paul Avis. I'm the Marketing Director for Canada Life Group Insurance. Um, I've been here since 2009, and um, I genuinely do value the Empath podcast, Roger. I think it's a fantastic vehicle to get some really good thought leadership uh, messages across. Now, um, as you know, I, I did the first two solo and probably uh, but 
boring for the listeners, so I bring my interesting colleagues with me on it. We had Scott Rayner last time doing ROI on JIP, and today I've got uh, Andrew, uh, colloquially known as Max Marchant, and Donna with me as well. Excellent. Max, why not give me a little bit of background about yourself? And very briefly, even though you're called Andrew, everybody calls you Max. I'm sure there's a very long story behind that. There is a long story, Roger, and I'll try and keep that short and sweet, really. But uh, it goes back to when I first moved to Bristol about 30 years ago. Uh, Max Boyce, for those people who are old enough to remember him, was uh, sort of the only famous Welsh person known in the Bristol area. So I became uh, known as Max, and I said that's uh, stuck with me throughout my time in Canada life. Most people don't know my proper name. <laughs> and that's something that can be a benefit. <laughs> and what is it that you do at Canada Life? I, I am the EIS and Rehabilitation Manager. I've uh, been with Canada Life now for getting on for 30 years. I spent probably the first 12 to 15 years working in a, with our scheme underwriters. Then I moved away, across to the income protection side of things and spent a lot of time talking to customers and engaging with, with our customers. And it's a fascinating area to work in, so you see the, the impact it can have on people's lives. Great stuff. And Donna, tell me a little bit about yourself. I'm Donna Ray. I'm the senior nurse in the Canada Life Early Intervention Service. Um, I'm a registered nurse with the NMC, which is the Nursing and Midwifery Council, which is the regulatory body for all nurses and midwives in the UK. Um, I qualified in 1994, which seems a really long time ago now, initially working in orthopaedics, which looking after patients undergoing elective surgery, such as knee, hip, back surgery. I joined Canada Life about three years ago now, and for the last two out of those three years, I have been working in the early intervention service. Um, when I'm not at work, I'm usually at home with my family, my two Italian greyhounds who are called Gino and Perlo. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And it was great, Donna, that you actually explained what EIS means, early intervention services. I think one of the things that we do as an industry from time to time is we forget that not everybody listening actually knows what we're talking about. So we can throw around phrases like JIP and ROI, and there are people listening thinking, what the hell's all that about? So GIP is Group Income Protection, ROI, of course, Return on Investment. Let's try to keep the acronyms to a minimum. And maybe, Paul, give me a little bit of background about the current situation in the Group Income Protection market. Well, thank you for that from Roger. I was actually uh, trying to promote Scott Rayner's podcast uh, by using TLAs, but um, <laughs> everyone's welcome to go back and, and have a listen to that one. Um, so um, the first thing to say is that on the face of it, you know, the group risk industry, as I said, it, it looks brilliant. We increase by premiums and employees every year. And, you know, if you're a shareholder or someone involved in the market, it seems a, a real success story. Uh, group income protection is no different than that. Um, we increased uh, by 6.3% uh, the number of employees covered between 2015 and 2016. And we now have 2.239 million people covered for group income protection. Um, that's a fantastic um, endorsement, but regrettably, it comes aligned with a, a bit of a grey cloud. And the grey cloud is there are only 57 new employers um, using group income protection uh, in that period. So today, we have uh, recorded as an industry through the Swiss Re Group Watch 17,169 employers using the service. Now, it was lauded as the first turnaround, the first increase since 2008. But obviously, it's a tiny increase of 0.3%. So we continually have this challenge in our industry that the group income protection market changes lives. It's fantastically valued. 
hence it's being expanded by the number of employees, but it's the number of new employer customers that we, we have to address. Because at 17,169 employers, it's woefully underpenetrated. As an industry, um, we also pay claims, obviously. Uh, we pay £359 million in 2017 uh, grid stats, so that was £12 million up on the 2016 grid stats. And that, on the face of it, looks really positive. We're, we're, we're proactively seeking to pay claims. But, again, the grey cloud here was that out of our 2.239 million people insured, only 2,289 were facilitated as return to works using the services we're about to describe. Um, in 2016, there was only 1,878 people returned. So if you stop and think about that, you've got 17,000 employers employing 2.239 million people, and we're only returning to work 2,289. And that's why we're on the podcast today to say that the services you're about to hear about are not just Canada Life Services, they're prevalent in the group income protection market, and we want all advisors to use them. The, the title today is, are insurers, insurers, yes we are, are we service providers too? Yes, we most definitely are. And that, that's why I thought, rather than me talk about the impact that we can have on people's lives, it would be better for uh, Max and Donna to talk through exactly what we're doing in the early intervention and rehabilitation spaces to enable people to to genuinely change their lives and get back to work as quickly as possible. Yeah, this is such a fascinating subject and I guess there are themes developing in the industry, uh, both on the group side and the individual side, that that insurance is more than just money, and it's you know it's about the extra service that insurance companies can give to their customers, whether that's access to companies like Best Doctors, and, and that you, you hear about that quite a lot in the individual protection market. But early intervention to me, just seems like an absolute no-brainer. I mean, yes, people want to have their salaries replaced if they're ill and they can't work, but most of us want to recover from our illnesses, don't we? Most of us want to get back on our feet, get back to work, and start living a normal life. So maybe the emphasis over the years has been wrong. Maybe we should have been saying to people, yes, we will pay, but the main reason for taking this out, whether it's group or individual, is the service that you get. Am I right, Am I right about that or wrong? I 100% agree, Roger. I mean, certainly from an employer's perspective in the group market, we have a key problem. What do we call this? We call it today group income protection. It's been long-term disability insurance, which is still described as such in the Swiss Re report, permanent health insurance, prolonged disability insurance, salary continuance. Let's stop for a minute and, and address that focus and that first problem. Some people say that this should be just called sick pay. Well, it isn't sick pay because there's already occupational and statutory sick pay. So it's more than sick pay. It is extended sick pay. It's what happens after your occupational and statutory sick pay is 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 used up. But then, of course, this is where it gets complicated, and that's why today's so important, is it's more about the support services that we provide as insurers. These are all free for the employer and the employee to use. They're uh, absorbed within the premiums that, w- that we charge people. So perhaps we should be rethinking group income protection and renaming it sick pay support or something along those lines, because that would make much more sense and resonance with an employer. This is to help you get back to work to prevent sickness absence, as well as ultimately pay a financial benefit if someone can't be returned to the workplace. So it, I, th- I think you've hit the nail on the head there. This, this whole industry needs to rethink 
the way it describes uh, on a root and branch review exactly what it what business it's in because it's not just the insurance business anymore yeah i think as well one of the reasons why the penetration is so low amongst companies is because insurance always gets people diving for cover don't they they don't want to talk about insurance whereas if you reposition it as you say as a service as a getting people back to work service then maybe the resonance will be a lot higher so max you've been involved in helping people rehabilitate helping people get back to work you've been running the early intervention service so give me a little bit of background about where it's come from and how it's going Certainly, Roger. Yeah, I, I would echo the point. I think we, we need really everyone needs to understand the true value that this product can bring. And there's more than just the claim. There are so many services. I think we, we should all be uh, making people aware of that will help people. And again, I'm, I'm a strong believer in in helping people. It, it's in my moral fiber, really, that the, we, we are here. We are a social society where it's all about helping people getting back to work. Uh, should they be off? And remember, there are so many stats out there about how uh, work is so good for you. We all want to work. It is in our gene to work away. And so we should do, we have obligation in my part to, to facilitate and help people do that should they need that. Early intervention services, that is really the, the really first point of, of contact with us. And it's an important service, uh, we believe, really. But Donna will go through the process a bit later on to give you a bit more of understanding of that. But, but effectively, it is a, uh, an opportunity from day one of absence where uh, an employee can be referred to a team of nurses via the uh, employer and, and really facilitation takes place there by the nurse to get the right people engaged talking together to help a person back into the workplace. It's really there to understand how best to manage that particular absence. Absence isn't straightforward, and so we're all here trying to help each other uh, facilitate and get the right results for, at the end of the day, the employee go back into the workplace. EIS early intervention, uh, it really it isn't a new concept to us. Uh, it's not appeared overnight uh, with Candle Life. Uh, we, we've been sort of working on this going back from about 2013, and it's been redesigned throughout the years. It is, to me, one of our key customer strategies, uh, led strategies. And what I mean by that is actually we've gone out and listened to the customer and understood their needs. Uh, I think we're all fall foul over the years of thinking what customers need and delivering some what they don't actually want. So we, we've gone out and sort of surveyed, spent a lot of time, invested a lot of energy in doing that because we wanted to work. Um, and so we, we've spent many years doing that. So if we go back to 2013, we were at the pilot stage and it was offered to all employers at that time with a premium in excess of £300,000. As you can understand, we had to set the limit because we were trying to get, get it to work and experiment on that to see what the best thing we could do. And if you think about the referrals we had then, it was around about 195 at that particular time. Also, at that time, the majority of the referrals were around about 12 weeks absence. So not as early as we would like. Because remember, even though I've talked about day one, we still believe that we can still use early intervention services up to the end of the third period. Because if there's something we can do, something we can support the employer, help get that person back to work, there's still that opportunity to, to engage and be involved. That said, the earlier we get in, the earlier we can and, and the more beneficial there is. But we're, we're not closing the door to anybody up to that particular point. Um, if you go back then to 2014, uh, we took away the £300,000 requirement for that and offered it to all. Uh, and there was an immediate response to that. And we had 265 referrals coming through uh, our helpline on that particular point. But we also realised there was a barrier at that particular point, And it was called a form. 
people don't like filling forms out, as, as you know. And so we took that away. And I think uh, that, that sort of gave great results. So, so in 2015, that was removed. Uh, and the result was a doubling of the, uh, the people using the service, so up to around about 550 referrals at that time. Uh, so I said, we, we've used the service, it's been customer-led, uh, and it's really fitting the needs of the customer. It's grown from strength to strength, so much so that in 2016, we had our highest figure to date, 740 referrals, uh, and we're on target this year to, to exceed 1,000 referrals. We're keen to encourage using the service, and I think that's one of the purposes of today for me is that we want people to use it. Uh, and, and really, we, we, we spend a lot of time with some of our major customers, but those people who are using it best, we're even talking about pre-absence. So those people who are actually still at work, but we know at some point they may well go off, we're giving guidance, we're giving facilitation, and we're giving information at that time. Uh, and we welcome that because I think it's important if we can help customers keep their employees at work as long as they can do and, and also provide support when they potentially go off. I think that's an important element to our service. Roger, it's just probably worth just pausing on that. Um, so what Max has described is the last three, four years of evolution but if we put the kind of EIS stats in context, in 2014, we paid uh, 1,463 claims, of which 265 were prevented by early intervention service and returned to work. 2016, we did 740, as Max said, and, and we paid 1,069 claims. If we do 1,000 early intervention referrals this year, in effect, we'll be actually getting to the tipping point where we're turning more people to work than we are actually having to pay the claims out because we've done such a great job. And so that makes perfect sense from an employer's perspective because obviously you want your people at work, you want them productive and engaged in the workplace, but also means sustainable, appropriate premiums on, the, on an ongoing basis. So if you have an improved claims experience, there's a financial benefit immediately in that in actual factual claims experience is adjusted to reflect the fact you are engaging with us. And as Max said, that's the core purpose of today is to to put out a call to action for employers and advisors to engage with us on this service because it makes perfect sense for employer and employee on all sorts of dimensions. There's obviously a lot of talk in both the individual market and the group market that insurers still try to get out of paying claims. And we know that that is far from the truth. But if you are doing an early intervention and you get somebody back to work, perhaps before the money starts being paid, is that classed as a claim or is it classed as a, a something else? And, and how does that affect the stats that get quoted in the newspapers? So the first thing to say is that, you know, insurers want to pay all valid claims, only valid claims for the period of their validity because people can return to work and we actively, you know, support that through rehabilitation. But probably the best thing uh, to do now is to hand over to Donna because, in essence, through early intervention, we tell you whether to complete the claim form or not because the chances are you are going to become a claimant and you can't be returned to work. So to explain how the whole process of early intervention and rehabilitation works, I'll let Donna now walk through the, the, the actual machinations of this service. Thank you, Paul. Um, as Max said, obviously um, the early intervention service is easy to use and it can be used from day one of an absence. And there's also no limit on the number of times a customer can use the service and it's available at no additional cost to the premium. The employer will call the helpline and provide us with some basic information. And the most important part of that call is what would they like to achieve from the referral? Mm -hmm. And that's what we will focus on when we contact the employee. When we speak to the employee, um, we would always discuss the reason for absence, 
any treatment they're receiving and any thoughts they have on what their employer can do to support them back to work. Um, obviously, we will always provide our recommendations in the report as well. But obviously, we want to get the employees' view of what they can do as well, what their employer can do to help themselves. During the um, EIS call, uh, the, the nurse will um, sign will signpost the employee to any support services available. So we'll always always make them aware of the employee assistance program, best doctors, access to work, charitable organisations such as Cruise and Mind. So anything that we can guide them to which may support them in their recovery. Once we've spoken with the employee, completed a report, we do send it to the employee to obtain their consent to share it with their employer. So if the employer doesn't need to obtain consent, uh, we do that on their behalf. Um, we'll also prepare a proposed return to work programme. So obviously if the employee is ready to return, we'll provide an example plan, which they can then use as a starting point for further discussion with the employer. We'd always encourage customers to call the helpline. So if they're not sure if it's an early intervention referral, um, I'll always encourage everyone to call the helpline and speak with us and then we can guide you as to the next step. And once you've put this process in place, what sort of outcomes are the employers seeing as a result of this? Perhaps you can pick that up, Max. Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, as I mentioned before, we, of the, so for example, of the 740 referrals we had in 2016, um, effectively 91% of those, or 9 in 10, uh, did not result in a claim. Mm -hmm. uh, 71% of those returned to work. Uh, and, and effectively, some of the, the, the are positive outcomes. If we, if we intervene in, in weeks one to four, the average return to work time is just five weeks. Mm -hmm. Now, over, over the previous three years, we, Ian, uh, Paul taught, touched on the, uh, the incidents, the claims incidents, uh, but that sort of reduced by around 400. Uh, and the EIS has increased by 500. Now, can I just make a comment on the, the, the claims scenario? I appreciate there is those comments around uh, without the uh, avoiding claims, but the point is we're not, uh, we, as Paul said, we are here to pay valid claims, and we do so. But I think what we must forget, employers do not want their employees going off long-term sick. No. Um, so it, it, we are here working together. We all benefit. Every individual is working together to make sure we get the right outcome. If we, in, in some ways, if, if obviously claims happen, but if we allow uh, by not working together, someone who, who technically is not a long, got a long, long-term illness to go into claim, you could argue we failed between ourselves in not doing the best for that individual. Mm -hmm. So I think it's an important point to remember. This is about service, and we are here to support all those people relevant to this particular product. I'm very strong in believing that because I think it's the right thing to do. More importantly as well also, there's been a 32% reduction uh, of mental health claims over the last three years. And I think if you think about it, that's the primary focus of early intervention services. Those are the real complex, complex uh, situations where employers, HR, really struggle with and, and, and to, to deal how best to uh, to deal with these things. So by engaging with a nurse or a medical professional at that stage, it, it allows them the best way forward. And at the end of the day, it is it, it, we need to work together on these things. And I think that's where we're seeing the, the, the best results in, in the mental health side of things. And I think we'll talk on that a bit later. But just want to give you a flavour also of the, the amount of people using that. Uh, as of 2017, we have over 100 different uh, uh, customers using the service and on average throughout each particular month we get about 40 different uh, uh, customers using that so 
they see the value. I think that uh, Max has hit on a really important point, Roger. If you look at the frost black uh, work done in 2009 and right the way through to 2015 uh, that gave us the fit for work service, one of the key transactional failures when dealing with sickness absence was the line manager. Mm. They're not brilliantly skilled at dealing with absence at the best of times. So you begin to put that with mental health. Um, as, a, as a kind of underlying cause or work-based stress, which is obviously the, the most kind of pernicious uh, area of that um, kind of workplace conflict. And you can begin to see why they struggle. And for some line managers, what we're saying is don't just leave this person on a two-week or a four-week fit note, just you know, absent because they're going to stew and, you know, kind of disengage with the workplace. Let us take that over and act almost as an independent source of support and advice for you and the employee to resolve the issue. Um, and, we do from day one uh, mostly subjective complex absences, which are things like you know work-based uh, stress or um, kind of the the more undiagnosable, less easily assessed conditions. To put that in context, the grid claim stats that said that 54% of early intervention services was from mental health, whilst only 17% was from musculoskeletal, and that's from the 2289 people they returned to work. So if nothing else employers have a choice. You engage with the IS and you get people back to work as quickly and responsibly as possible when only fit and able to be there, or you let them stew. And that, certainly from a line manager's perspective, that's the real value of EIS. Let somebody else take it over and support that employee back to work, or as importantly, overcome the, the workplace issue. And, and I know Donna's champing at the bit. She's got some case studies um, of, of exactly that point. Yeah, and I think this is this is probably the most important part. And um, the protection review conference last week, uh, we touched upon the need for the industry and for our communications from the industry to be more human and to to talk about real life examples. And I think listening to case studies and and promoting those case studies to potential customers is definitely the right way to go to get people more interested in what we do. So Donna, I'm looking forward to hearing your case study examples as well. Thank you. Um, as Paul mentioned, obviously, regarding work-related stress, I thought I'd start with the uh, work-related stress case study, first of all. This employee who'd actually been absent from work for two weeks, uh, there were a number of issues in the workplace, and he really didn't want to speak to his employer about those. I did actually have a long call with him and during that call I explained to him that the whole time those issues were still sat there and he didn't speak with his employer, they remained unresolved and he would continue to feel the way he was feeling. I encouraged him to attend a meeting with his employer and actually by the end of the call he was keen to do that, which I felt was a positive outcome because obviously the whole time it's unresolved, it does stay unresolved and he would continue to see his GP and get signed off work uh, due to work-related stress. Um, there had been a loss of trust between himself and his employer, so I did suggest to that employer that they might want to engage a mediation service, such as ACAS, so the employee could feel that it was um, done from an independent point of view. Um, following the meeting, I understand that the employee did actually successfully return to work, and the issues that were sat there were resolved, and that was a success. I, th I think this is, this is, in a nutshell, what you just heard there is a lot of mental health is actually not clinical, mm. i.e. it shouldn't be a claim. It's to do with 
workplace issues, interpersonal conflicts, performance management, sometimes over promotion, and the trust issue that Donna said, when the trust goes, the communication goes, and that's part of the job of the early intervention service is to return genuinely non-clinical cases to the workplace and facilitate those discussions to make sure in actual fact people address the core issue, which is not clinical, is actually the workplace. Um, the second case study I've got is actually for a physical um, condition and this employee had actually been absent from work for one month and she'd actually developed the symptoms of an inherited nerve disorder that she was unaware of that she had and this was causing a lot of pain and weakness in both her hands and she worked primarily in a computer-based role which was about 90% of her job. Um, at the time of speaking with her, she was actually ready to start considering a return to work as the symptoms were starting to improve. Um, so as part of that, I did suggest a phased return to work plan, sort of gradually building up her hours um, each day so that she could gradually um, improve her sort of keyboard ability. I also suggested that she had a display screen equipment assessment, so a DFC assessment you probably know it as just so that make sure her workstation was set up appropriately. Um, as this was a condition that she'd just been diagnosed with, I also suggested she might wish to contact the Best Doctors Service for a free second medical opinion, which is available to her through the Canada Life Policy. Um, I also encouraged her to contact Access to Work just to explore if there was any um, anything else, any other adjustments that they could suggest. Obviously, this is a long-term condition that she will have to manage, um, and she sort of mentioned that she found touch typing easier than using an actual keyboard and things like voice activated software would that be appropriate for her because now about managing her condition was to prevent sort of further flare-ups of her condition and, and maintain that. So again sorry to interject uh, Donna so the, you heard uh, the second medical opinion service that we use is Best Doctors they found that uh, one in five people or up to one in five people can have a change in diagnosis and Astonishingly, one in two people can have a, a change in treatment when the service is used. So clearly providing clinical certainty to that employee, integrating best doctors within the early intervention process made perfect sense to us. Also, Donna touched on something really important. Employers have a duty under the Equality Act, uh, previously the Disability Discrimination Act, to uh, make reasonable adaptations to the workplace. And there is a raft of uh, support available from the state for adaptation to the workplace to enable someone to be retained and so we know all about that and we facilitate that that dialogue ultimately um, when we come back to the claims point the insurance the the financial point um, we've taken a view whereby we look to pay uh, clinical claims you know your heart attacks cancer strokes clear objective scenarios within 72 hours and we are not now going to the GP to get the report. We actually just need the consultants and specialist paperwork to enable us to um, admit those claims. So it's not just on the early intervention complex subjective cases we're, we're trying to change things. We're trying to make the whole claims process on the financial benefit as easy as possible too. So, so yes, we are still an insurance company paying claims. And, and, and in a case like that where that person couldn't go back to work, would never go back to work, then that's what we're there for because that, 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 that was a pretty pretty tough case for her when her job is typing she can't do it anymore. I mean obviously the final case study I have is actually um, a clinical condition and like Max mentioned earlier although we are a day one service we will uh, support employees to return to the workplace right up to the end of the deferred period. 
Um, and actually, in this case, the claim form had actually been submitted, but there was still three months left until the end of the deferred period. So one of the claims management consultants did actually contact us at EIS just to see if there was anything that we, any support that we could provide. Um, on speaking with this employee, she was actually ready to consider a return to work, but her confidence had been affected by the stroke. So um, I did put in place an eight-week phased return to work plan, and actually I maintained regular contact with her throughout that to provide reassurance and adjust the return to work plan as needed. Um, it did need adjusting along the way, uh, but ultimately we did support her back to full-time duties, and it didn't become a claim actually. These are great examples, great examples. And, of course, you'll be using these in your marketing, won't you? Yeah, and uh, I would offer anyone um, access to the website where we've got case studies on early intervention and rehabilitation for income protection. We've got second medal opinion and a practical nurse uh, support from Red Arc as well. So we have all these case studies available, obviously made confidential. And what we're trying to do, Roger, is bring to life the fact that, yes, this has a positive impact on people's lives and by working with us you can genuinely make an impact not only from a business perspective but a personal perspective as well. So Max you're the EIS guy at Canada Life and we've heard some really exciting things this morning so tell me how where's the future of all of this going? I mean we want to reposition this to the forefront of the proposition don't we? We want to make this GIP, Group Income Protection, more about the service as opposed to the insurance elements. So where does the future lie? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think I, you, you mentioned a word a bit earlier, human. Uh, I said I've been in this game a long time, and I think we, we need to make this whole thing less transactional and become more human. And uh, service is the key element, and the value that this brings. I just think we've lo- we, we had lost our way over the years. Now we need to bring that back in and really ramp home the necessity and and the value that this particular service is that we all can bring together. It is all about working together on that. Before I move on further quick, I just want to point out, I keep on talking about customers, but I just wanted to make it quite clear really that whatever we do, we will work in conjunction with advisors on these. So it's not a case of just ignoring advisors. We want to work together. So again, when we talk about partnership with people, we're talking about all the relevant parties going to have a a, a major influence and a major impact on on this. So just wanted to make that clear from from the outset on that. But but in terms of EIS, yeah, I I think I get quite excited about these things. But but certainly from my perspective, the early intervention service, we need to drive it to new levels of understanding. Uh, we need to deliver more training and workshops to help know, know employers when and, and what appropriate to engage. And we're on that path on that. So that's a key element to us. We're, from, from a candlelight perspective, we're up in investment in the early intervention service because as we go beyond the, t- the thousand mark, we want to make sure we have the, the right skills and the right people dealing with that to respond to the customer needs on that. In-house expertise is key to us. Uh, a tra- there's no triaging at the moment in this time, and it remains a fun- fundamental aspect of our service to, to allow speedy access to the right people, the all the medical professional who can give uh, quality uh, and flexibility for the employer to make sure they can help the employee back into the workplace. It is part of a strategic support. We need to make sure we can help employer HR because we've touched on this before. It, absence is a very complex area and, and the skills are not in employers. And so we need to do everything we can through EIS and beyond 
to support that. But it's not just EIS we're working on. We want to work a bit further before people go off. So we're working really closely with employers and we're starting for the future really to uh, increase our absent management support. We're trying to understand uh, the needs of our customers and really helping some of our larger customers at the moment with, with, with absence. We're piloting new well-being concepts healthy living, walking campaigns, blood pressure readings, etc. And um, these are things we're doing in our own organization and learning from that and uh, sharing our experiences with customers to help them put in place uh, these type of things. Mental health training, again, we've touched on this and we'll always touch on this. We've got uh, a nurse at this moment in time going through the mental health first training. Um, and, and she will be in the unable to understand the needs of the challenges that mental health brings. And so she'll be in a position, as well as a lot of the other teams, to deliver workshops, deliver training in that very, very important area. Uh, it is uh, something key to this whole service proposition. We need to also help customers with our tactical support. And by that, I mean, how do they help in their business elements so that? And Don has already touched upon ACAS through mediation, but it's understanding the needs and the, there may be aspects that we may not as an insurance company be able to deliver, but, but there's other things that ACAST, they do a raft of quality courses which may well suit the needs of the customer. So it's working closely with those as well to provide that. And it's understanding through the data, through the MI, what the relevant training is needed. One, one particularly I'm particularly excited about really going forward is, is really working closer more and more with our uh, customers, working in partnership. We're developing a, a planning process where to help connect calendar life support to the customer programs in place. So really, we're going to be spending more time uh, on site with, with, with customers and be, effectively becoming part of their customers' HR resource working in there. We want to understand aligning ourselves to the customer cultures and understanding the aims and objectives. That way, by getting to know them really well, we can uh, deliver what they actually need, what support uh, they're up to, and then we can be aligned to that culture because each customer is very different. Uh, and again, we need to move away from this blanket service. So go in there, discuss, talk, uh, educate, provide the relevant training, provide the relevant support to that particular customer uh, to suit their particular needs. Effectively, to me, it's exciting times and uh, I look forward to the coming years in this because there's a lot more that we can develop in this particular area. I really like the fact that you guys are doing stuff and you're doing a lot of stuff. I think one of the, as an observer in the industry now, one of the things I see a lot happening, especially in the media, is companies saying, here's a problem and it's a big problem and the industry, in inverted commas, needs to do more to solve it. And I get really crossed by that sort of coverage because people are just sort of stirring hornets nests up a little bit and then getting the coverage and rubbing their hands together and saying hey we got some PR coverage here but they're not actually doing anything about it but you guys you know you are in there in the thick of it providing service providing training providing insight and that is the way that we're going to develop market and uh, you know hats off to you for doing that so at the start we we asked this question are insurers just insurers or are they service providers paul perhaps you want to sum up what we've talked about this morning and maybe answer that question sure roger um and and like you i share the same frustration with knowing what the, the team in the room today can do and the wider team here at canada life can do 
we should have this everywhere. It's no cost to use these support services, whether it's vocational rehabilitation, second medical opinion, employee assistance programs, treatment sourcing, or online and telephonic legal services. All of this stuff is within the product group income protection. And, and there's a call to action for everyone to start using it. But in answer to the question, um, Max mentioned that we can achieve an average five weeks absence duration point about that is an employer will bite your hand off for that kind of outcome. Bear in mind, they're probably paying occupational and statutory sick pay. Mm -hmm. Bear in mind, they want the employee back to work because other colleagues are covering that work. So to achieve that objective, um, we've mentioned a lot about partnership and the partnership between the advisor, the employer, us. And so when we hit the opportunity, God, we've got access to the employer working with the advisor. What do we want to do? Three stages. First of all, we want to understand that employer. What are their HR policies, procedures? What are their services? What are their benefits? How can we facilitate a return to work using all those three core components of an absence management? Second thing we want to do is measure. What are the real causes of EIS referrals or claims or medical or employee assistance programs? And if we can measure that, and a lot of employers now are doing these forums where they get all of their service suppliers in one place and they share data and they say, these are the real areas we want you to target. And then the final thing is, is to make the offer. As Max says, you know, that could be sickness absence training, that could be mental health training, that could be mediation training. We're trying to build processes to support the employer, not only on the tactical EIS case by case, but also as part of a strategic health and wellbeing service um, that they, they probably are looking to others for today, but we, we think we're brilliantly positioned to support them on. So. That process of understand the employer, measure and understand what the causes of absence are, and then target our offer is the journey that we're on to develop the um, support service uh, that Candlelife offers. So I guess the answer actually is that, yes, insurance companies are more than insurance companies. They are service providers. And early intervention services, as I said at the start, it's a theme that's developing across the industry that we are all much more than just companies that pay out money. We're companies that help people, help people recover. And I guess the big challenge, as you've articulated, is that as an industry, we need to communicate that more. Now, you're doing your bit, but financial advisors need to do their bit as well. And even the reinsurance companies and the media, we just need to get more stories out there. Uh, like we've heard from Donna this morning, the case studies, the real human stories, that's the sort of thing that's going to change the perception that people have of this industry. Guys, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Paul, your thank fourth you, time. Thanks for your fourth fourth um, appearance on the show. Max and Donna, thanks for your first appearance on the show. I guess there's probably going to be a fifth appearance at some point in the future, um, Paul, but we'll, uh, we'll have to see what the subject is about. Maybe we're going to have to find a, a, a reason to talk about St. Lucia as opposed to insurance. What do you think? I think some cultural uh, learnings from St. Lucia uh, may be transferable, Roger, mostly the rum. Absolutely. And, and I'd be absolutely delighted to fly out there and do the interview in the sun. <laughs> Guys, thanks for being on the show and I'll speak to you soon. Cheers, just hold on a second. My, my cat's making a lot of noise. Just hold on. Keep away from the recording buttons. <laughs> yeah, I'm back. And when I'm doing a recording, I close the door and sometimes Sid gets a bit pissed off that the door's closed so he's I've got a cat called Sid as well have you 
Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF for links to the topics, apps and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. If you are a business person, financial services professional or journalist and have a marketing or finance story to tell, please get in touch. You could be the next guest on the show. And do remember, nothing we talk about on the show is financial advice of any kind. It's just thoughts and opinions, okay? Okay.